mornings a week, we meet before breakfast for an early morning run. We spend most of our time planning and reflecting on what's happening in our classrooms. This has become our favorite professional development. So we figured, why not share these moments with you? Welcome to Math Before Breakfast. episode 23 and we are excited to talk about more fractions Yay! <laughs> um, Ruth's gonna talk about what's been having in fractions in her room and I'm gonna start I started area and perimeter this week and so we're gonna talk about some of the tasks that we did for that and at the end we have um, something special to share with our listeners so we hope you'll s- stay tuned for that um, as, what do you cl- it's not clickbait when you uh, <laughs> when you are on a podcast what do you call I don't I don't know. Anyway, you Listen, got a name mate. for that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if there's a name for that. Okay. You call it what the news does. They save the best story for the last. Okay. Yeah. We're sa- we'll save something the best for the last. All right. So, Ruth, tell us about where you are with fractions. and. So, this week was testing week, which for me means my classes are 20 minutes because we've tested all morning and then they go to lunch and have a break and then they distribute them between all their classes. So, I had short little snippets of time. Is this some kind of like standardized yes, testing? Yes, it's okay. our standardized testing, and okay. they test four mornings or three mornings a week. Okay. Um, so as far as this week goes, this is – today will be the first day that I have back to my hour class. Yeah. All of that said, um, we did some number talks, and we are still subtracting fractions. And so with your advice, I revisited – concrete representational abstract because Mm -hmm. I still had some strugglers and in all fairness to my my students some of them knew how to do subtraction with regrouping before coming to my class Hmm. so it was kind of like they were out there all by themselves needing something to be challenged with and then I had some who still thinks that when you change the denominator from halves to sixth you just move the numerator over yeah yeah um that's so, a, so that's a big, a really big difference gap in their understanding. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I did some warm ups. I did some things that I could look at their work, and I actually ended up grouping them, grouping them by their ability level for two days. Um, the students who didn't need my help but needed more practice worked together in a group. And practiced Mm -hmm. subtracting mixed numbers. What'd you get? This is what I got. Um, I had a a group. um, It was really kind of bizarre. I teach this six times. Mm -hmm. And one of those groups that needed more help, more concrete, was three kids. And then in the next class, it was ten kids. Wow, yeah. So even just, like, moving the desk around. You know, mm-hmm. here, now you guys sit over here and work together. And then for the students who needed to be challenged, um, and I feel like that's kind of the hardest part as a teacher, because it would be really easy for me to say, here, you do these problems. Yeah. I just made the denominators right. stupid big, yeah. you know, and you have to find common denominators and do the math. But I went to enrich, mm-hmm. um, and they had a lot of fraction task okay. that ended up really challenging them. Like to the point that they were like, Miss E, 
is this right? Is this how you want to do it? I'm like, you are in the independent group, so you are not allowed to solicit help from me. I know that it is requiring you to think, and that was my point. Yeah. So you can talk to those other students, but please don't come over to this table because we are figuring out that three twelfths is equal to one fourth. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, tell us one of your like one of the tasks that you think so, was the best for that group. I wish I knew the name. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll find it. But it. They gave them six fractions, and I want to say they were all unit fractions. Maybe not, but using these six Jay, fractions. Do you know what a unit fraction is? I don't know what a unit fraction is. It has a numerator of one. Oh. Like one-fourth, one-sixth. I was thought unit fraction was like, you know, three-fourths of a pie. Because <laughs> <laughs> it has a unit at the end. Oh, gotcha. No, okay. So numerator of one. Gotcha. So sorry, I did. I got yeah, that's of. good. Um, they had to add them and get as close to one as they could, and none of the denominators were friendly. Okay, so you really had to think about how big it was and which one you wanted to add to it. Um, and nobody was able to get exactly one. Cool. So it really kept them. Do you think that 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 was? Is there a way to get to exactly one? Maybe not with those particular numbers. Yeah. You Which, are really putting me on the spot, but I did not solve the task before. Womp <laughs> womp. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, but if but that actually might be kind of cool if there is not one that gets to one because it will make them keep working and trying more combinations. You right. Know? Um, so I did that. And then the next day <clears throat> I gave them three different open middle challenges, which open middle has so many of them. And they, I just drew them on whiteboards. Mm -hmm. So it was like two mixed numbers that equal a whole number and you couldn't repeat any digits zero to nine. Okay. Or one to nine. Um, and then two fractions that equaled a fraction and two fractions that equaled any whole number. So when you were able to solve one of those, you wrote your answer and your name on a post-it note and you stuck it behind the board. Okay. That was kind of how I knew that you were working and it kept them busy and open middle was a little more attainable for them. That enriched one, that's all they worked on. And lots of them left frustrated <laughs> probably because there wasn't yeah. an answer. Um, so I liked that I was able to reach them. Yeah. And then the concrete representational abstract, we were able to work through two or three problems. And I ended up not having everybody do it concretely. I okay. just did it concretely in the middle of the table, everybody looking at it. Because I don't, I didn't have time for you to dig through your thing and put all of your fractions the right way. Yeah. Um, and I You're, feel like I caught a couple. Yeah. Um. There's just, there's just more to do it. Um, I did really figure out something cool, and I'll put an example on this, but GCF and LCM, I taught that. Yeah. And now we're using it, so we divide by the greatest common factor in the form of one to simplify a fraction, and we find the least common multiple to find your least common denominator. So I'm really trying to use those vocabulary right. words. Okay. So... When you find the greatest common factor of two numbers, you can use a Venn diagram to find your GCF. Um, well, 
let's say you're... Are you going to explain how to do that? Yes. Okay. So 12 and 15. You find the prime factorization of 12, which is 2 times 2 times 3. Okay. And you find the prime factorization of 15, which is 3 times 5. Okay. Then you put what they have in common in the middle of your Venn diagram. Okay. So you would put your 3 there because there's a 3 from 15 and there's a 3 from 12. Okay. So on the left Venn diagram, you put what <laughs> prime factors are left. A 2 and a 2 for 12 okay. and a 5 for 15. Well, one of my students is struggling with simplifying fractions because they have in their head that you just divide by two and divide by two and divide by two until you can't divide anymore. Yeah, I've seen and that so too. when they're simplifying 65 seventieths, yeah. he's got 35.5 or uh, no, he's got 35 on the bottom and then he's got I can't figure 30, out what half of 65 yeah. is, right? Yeah. So Anyways, back to the 12 and 15. The three's in the middle. Well, on the left side is two times two, which is four. And on the right side is five. And that's your simplified fraction, four fifths. So when a student was able to see that, like, let's see, if I do this diagram, then I don't have to divide both of them because the answers are there. So 65 and 70, your GCF is five, which means it ended up in the middle. And you have a 13 because it's prime over here. Uh-huh. And you have, what do you have? A 7 and a 2 over here. So 13 14 is your fraction in simplest form. Wow. That's cool. It was really cool that they understood that if I take the time to do this GCF, then I'll know what the answers are. I won't mm-hmm. have to just apply it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it, it was cool. Like we had little moments like that. Yeah. So now we're at the point where they have a test next week and we made a foldable. Oh, girl. Oh, you you yesterday on the run that was your idea. Are you saying that was a mistake? No, it it was fine because this is what I did. We were Ooh, testing. Girl doesn't sound like it was yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> because to tell a student we're going to fold this paper, we're going to put marks here, we're going to cut it. Then we're going to stick this paper inside this one, and it's going to look like this. They don't either. They don't wait for directions, or they completely miss them. It's just it's hard. I pretty much hate foldables, like as a as a general teacher rule. <laughs> but <laughs> well, this was my my answer to it when mm-hmm. testing was over, and we had to keep them quiet for twenty five minutes because the classes around us were still testing. Uh-huh. I gave them one direction. It was like, I'd like for you to fold it, measure one inch in, and cut here. And I'd like for you to make as many as you possibly can. And now I'd like for you to fold this way and cut it here and make as many as you possibly can. So throughout the day. You had a foldable assembly line. Yeah. When you were finished, could you go ahead and do that 10 more times and put some on my pile? <laughs> so by the end of the day, we don't need the scissors anymore. We don't need any more paper. Oh, that part was already done. It's already done. Here's nice. your fold cut. This is how you put it together. Yeah. Um. So that was good. I still had a couple who tried to predict what I was going to do. And yeah, you know, but the point is that's going to serve as a study guide and they're going to go home and create what they need to remember. How do you simplify a fraction? How do you change a mixed number to a fraction greater than one? Yeah. Did you... Um, give them the directions yesterday for like what to put on it. So I created one of my own and 
we only got to make it because I only had 20 minutes. Okay. So today we're going to write the word on the front, the verb of what you're going to do, the fraction, simplify, make equivalent, et cetera. Then you're going to open the flap and I'm giving you example problems. And then I told them about the sources like that they were going to do because there's a place for them to write where they got their answers. And mine's completely finished. So you could just open yours up. I also encouraged them like I had a student come yesterday after school and we talked through subtracting fractions, and I wrote down for him in his foldable everything he needed to remember hmm. and highlighted the part that he skipped every single time he did it. <laughs> yeah. So time. just to go back, because we, we we obviously talked about this and people might be missing parts, but y- you had this idea, and instead of, you know, oftentimes a foldable is like, copy what I have here. I feel like. Maybe I've watched people use them the wrong way but often it's like we're all going to kind of make the same thing but you had the format of the cutting ready like the style of the folds and stuff that you wanted to do and then you were going to tell them the topics of what needed to be there and then they were going to figure out how to what to write and even the example problems or now you're saying everybody has the same example so, problems because there's so many flaps i'll post this foldable but it's actually a solid piece of paper with a piece of notebook paper inside it okay so if you can imagine a solid then a notebook paper front and back and then another solid and then a notebook paper front and back so that's a lot of places to write different things so you have my examples that you now have to write how you would answer an essay question because it's on the test what does it mean to simplify a fraction? How do you simplify a fraction? And for some students, they're going to just say divide by the greatest common factor in the form of one because they know what that means. Yeah. Other students are going to say figure out what number goes into both numbers and divide both numbers by that number. Yeah. You have to make it work for you, you right. know. What? Yeah, okay. So – it's in your words. And if you just write the word divide, I'm probably going to come to you and say, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I told him, I said, this is a really good way to study for a math test because you have to make sure you know all of this stuff. And I gave them access to your videos. I gave them access to my videos. They have Google. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can type, how do you write an equivalent fraction? Yeah. <laughs> It'll show up. Yeah. Um, and then on the back, they had to write where they went to get that information, and then there's one more flap, and they have to make their own examples. Okay. So that's kind of the part where they're applying what they know, but everyone is going to have the same numbers. And I, ha- I actually had a parent who's a math teacher, and I said, can you look at this project from a parent perspective because uh-huh. it's coming home? And she said it was her idea to give them the original numbers so that they would at least have a an idea because I don't want kids to write – one half plus one half and tell me how to add it. Yeah. You know, so I gave them some that needed to have common denominators and yeah. needed to. And and that way they'll, they wouldn't be too easy or too hard. You know, they might pick denominators or right. numerators. That would be crazy, unnecessarily crazy. But I'm hoping that the mom who taught her daughter that the only way to find common denominators is to multiply them will understand that multiplying 18 and times six. Yeah. <laughs> 18 times six is not the best way to find the least common denominator. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. That's my plan. But we are moving into multiplication because I also had a conversation with the math department this um, this week 
about how sometimes we don't hold students accountable for what they've previously learned. Like in other grades? Yeah. Yeah. We just reteach it mm-hmm. and reteach it. And there has to be some kind of accountability. If I'm supposed to get through all of fraction computation and we don't want to talk about fractions all year long, then I have to be able to hold you accountable for what did you learn about writing an equivalent fraction. You mean there are people that don't want to talk about fractions all year long? (laughs) I don't believe it. See, we could call this fractions before breakfast and it would be sufficient for the year. So are you kind of saying like you are moving past all this other stuff kind of quickly with that reason that Mm -hmm. all of the things you've done so far are things they should have done before Mm -hmm. and should know. And I'm soliciting help from the parents. Yeah. Every time that I have given any kind of assessment, whether it's one point or just watched in class, I've sat down at my computer and clicked all the names and said, today we simplified fractions and, you know, Julie or whoever didn't know what she was doing. Mm-hmm. There's lots of resources on the internet and you don't have a lot of math homework. Practice. Can you find something for her to practice? Yeah. Not even you know, use this or do this. Wow. And I'm not holding them accountable, but I am checking my boxes because it's the end of the year and they think they're done. And I would say that, you know, you have an advantage of a parent group that's generally willing to do that. You know, that's not everybody's case. We know that for sure. Yeah. Well, I think those are good. You know, why not? Why not try it? You know, you're going to get a few more that are going to do that. Yeah, so. All right, shall we move to area and perimeter or you got No, we should. Yeah, all right. So I kind of got to the end of fractions. It wasn't, I didn't want to, this is bad, but waste a day of testing. You know, waste a day testing fractions because if you're going to give a test, I think you have to spend a little bit of time reviewing, you know, and I didn't, I don't have that time before my test. So I decided I was going to, Throw the practice test, like make sure we can do it on paper part of fractions in as I go and just move on to the next thing. Whether or not that was the right decision will remain to be seen, I think. Um, But I jumped into area and perimeter knowing that it's a a topic that can be be very engaging because it can be very hands-on, you know. Mm so I went to the Vandewall book, which you got a copy of it, right? Oh, my word. I just called my sister and was like, I know that your college is going away from textbooks. Yeah. Any chance there's a room of textbooks? Uh-huh. And she said, yes. I'm like, well, I know the author of the one that I really want is Vandewall. Uh-huh. But I think I might ask if I can go up there because wouldn't it be amazing if the Number Talks book was also on the shelf? <laughs> yeah, probably not. I don't think that's ever a textbook. But did you go there? And No, my sister called me and she said, I have the book in my hand. And I said, okay, I'm coming right now to get it. Yeah. And she said, I also have your garb for graduation because I'm going to have my master's in May. So <laughs> I'm getting pictures taken with my son who's going to have his bachelor's in May. That's awesome, Ruth. 
from the same institution. That's so cool. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, so the, so I, I've been just following through the Vanderwall task, or through the Vanderwall book for tasks. And I've been so pleased. Like, I don't know how anyone teaches without that book. That's what I have to say about that. Um, and I'm not getting any kickback from it. <laughs> I just, it's that good. Um, so the first task that we did was, should we go, should I go through the, all the oh, yeah. main tasks? Okay. So the first task that I did, I gave them a two, um, pieces of paper that I had cut out and I said here are two rectangles one it what they were two different colors one was seven by seven inches and one was six by eight inches and immediately they were like you said these were two rectangles there's one a square and I'm like do we still not know this you know I I that's one of those things that I felt like they should have been held accountable for like I know that they talked about it in third grade so I have purposely not gone over that too much but every time it comes up I've been saying this is it is a you know here's this is the rules for a rectangle now look at this square and you know we've just been over and over that and they say, but it doesn't have two different side lengths. I'm like, it doesn't have to. <laughs> That's not the rules for a rectangle. I, I probably should have done something different. Like, I we probably should have had an inquiry lesson about that, you know, but we didn't. We had inquiry lessons about other things. I got just... Um, I got off track there. Sorry. So, <laughs> like a pet peeve of mine. Um, so, I just said, figure out which one is bigger. And, and convince me and use words, numbers, and pictures. And as expected, and I, and let me just back up for one second and say that um, we are kind of asked to use this objective framework that to present it to students that says, today I will, so that I'll know, or you'll know you have it when. We, we've, we're kind of asked to use that. So if I was going to start this lesson, it would say, today I will measure shape, measure the area and perimeter of shapes so that, and then you'd fill in some use for area and perimeter so that I can use it when I'm building things. Um, I'll know I have it when I can t- use a ruler to measure the area and perimeter of a shape that I'm given. Well, that would totally defeat the whole entire purpose of my lesson if I started with that. True. So I just don't. I just jumped in. We're going to do a task. It's called the rectangle task. It's going to be fun. Um, Here's two rectangles. Figure out which one is the biggest. And so sometimes this is my plug. Buck the system, friends. And just, you know. (laughs) Let me give you, we're kind of in that same place. We have to say our essential question is. Yeah. Well, I met someone who covers their essential question. Ooh. And then in the middle of the lesson, they're like, oh, you're doing this rectangle task and you just ask me, do I want area and perimeter? And you're using a ruler. Look what we're doing today. Look what's behind door number one. I love that. And so I found at a yard sale this magnetic towel rod. I oh, I have one of those in my room. What the heck? So I just <laughs> hang a piece of fabric oh, or a folder over it. top of it. And underneath there is my essential question. So yeah. if I am observed. You should make some little curtains that you can be like, dun, 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 and pull them back. Oh, and then see what's behind that's it. That's so cute. <laughs> Unnecessarily cute. <laughs> okay. I might use – that thing has been sitting on my board, and I like – it was from the last teacher. Like, what am I ever going to use that for? Maybe I'll use it for that. That's cool. Thanks, Jen. So it's yeah. the reveal of Heidi. Oh, Heidi. the essential question. Yeah. Oh, that is that is a brilliant way to use that. Yeah, I like it. 
Okay. Thanks to whoever told you that. Yeah. That's my takeaway already. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, that's been a great week. Yeah. Other than that. <laughs> so, okay. But, and so instead of that, I just am like, when they get to that point in the lesson, I'm like, now you figured out why we're doing this. Like I act like I kind of play the, I did that on purpose and that's right. just how I say what we're doing. Okay. So like expected, some of them measured the perimeter, some of them measured the area, um, more of them measured the area than the perimeter. Um, we, we had the tools were available were rulers and, um, square tiles. Did you tell them whether they were married, marrying, no, measuring area or perimeter. Nope. That was the whole point. Was that like... You just gave rulers two rectangles and said go? I said, which one is bigger? And that's the point of the whole gotcha. lesson that's is right, that right. I, we, we can define bigger in two different ways. At least, you know, maybe three or four different ways. Because if you talk about the height, that's one thing that's different than the perimeter. So, no. And when they would ask me that, I'd say, mm, I'm purposely being vague, you know, and <laughs> they were like, I have not yet opened the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gee, I don't know. Uh, so it was good. And it, they, they had a little bit of understanding from third grade of area and perimeter. And so it kind of, it brought back some of that. It let us say the, let them say the words, let us establish what area and perimeter meant. It gave us an excuse to talk about what the units should be, which they they are not confident in that part. But, you know, when you – it was cool how some of them needed to put every single square on there and some of them needed to only put it down one side and down one side and then they could just visualize it. That's an important step to realize that some of them need every single square. Um, one really cool method – I didn't tell you about this yet. Okay, one really cool method that only my class did, the second class didn't do, was that they overlapped them. And if you can imagine, you'd you'd be left with a row at the top and a row on the side that are um, the hanging off part, like the part where they don't overlap. So the big section in the middle where they do, that would be a, a six by six square where they overlap. And then there was a row at the top and a row at the bottom. And so then they... But the row at the top and the row at the bottom are on two different shapes. Yeah, Correct. The, yeah. the row at the top was on one one mm -hmm. shape and the row on the the side was on a yeah there's like shape. a green row hanging off at one side and a purple row or like on the top and then a purple row extra hanging off the side and so then what they did i didn't let them cut them because i wanted them to stay whole then they like traced the this one team was so cool then they traced on the board the part or drew it the part that was extra and overlapped the two extra parts and found and the found one that there was one, square. yeah, and they could kind of point back to where it was on the on the board. That was so cool. Whoa. And like four groups in my class did the overlapping thing, and no groups did it in the other class. And that's the class that usually has the like woo woo ideas, you know. And so I got to go back, go the opposite direction that I'm usually sharing ideas. I'm like, look what my class did that you didn't do. This was so cool, you know. It was a little shining star moment for my <laughs> class. Um, so that was the first task. It was really good. It was all of these tasks that I've done, I think, oh, this is too simple, but we got to do it anyway. And then it was not too simple. It was right on. Um, that is the story of math this year for yeah, me. Because yeah. when I am teaching things conceptually and I just feel like you've already learned this, you have it. They don't have the conceptual. Yeah, like even simplifying a fraction like here's 
nine twelfths in fraction towers. How are we going to simplify that? What does that mean? And they're like, it's less blocks. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why is that something new? Mm-hmm. So, anyway, surprised. Yeah. I just feel like it's so important. <laughs> I feel like it identifies a lot of holes. Mm-hmm. So I told them. I this is a dumb story, but I told them that. Um, each one of these rectangle, each one of these shapes is a garden plot that one of our grades was given. So third grade was given a garden plot at school. Fourth grade was given a garden plot and fifth grade was given a garden plot. And these are smaller images of them. And I talked about how, um, that whole to scale and, and relating it to an iPad and how you would like scoot your fingers out to zoom in or pinch your fingers together to, to move in. They like, they don't, I don't think to scale means anything to them, but they can get the idea when you talk about what you would do on an iPad. Um, so I said, these are two scale versions of them. And one grade was upset because they thought the other grade got more area for their garden plot. Can you help settle this dispute? And they, I thought that it would be kind of obvious what to do with the blob. And again, I got some strange, like just all, well, a lot of like, I don't know how to do this, you know, first. And then eventually some things happened. I, I, what I wanted them to do was to cut the blob out, lay it on grid paper and count the square units. And then when, when there were square units that were cut off, match them up to make whole square units. But there was all kinds of different things that they did. Um, in some cases, they wanted to count every single unit, like every single square unit, even if it wasn't full. Well, they're really missing the idea of covering with a square unit if they count every single one. Some of them wanted to count every single full one and just forget the others. Some of them wanted to count the part, like combine the parts correctly, but they didn't think of any good way to organize their thinking as they would go you know some just were measuring the perimeter i don't know why um you know so one one group did tile it with centimeter they cut out centimeter grid paper squares and tiled it i saw that picture that was Um, true yeah one team um this was pretty cool and not and two people that would not normally be the ones that I would share like look at what they did they they cut it into rectangles like they took the blob and cut the biggest rectangle that they could and then they cut a square that they could and then they put all their little junky pieces off the side in another pile and so they said this big rectangle is this many square units and then this square is this many square units Mm. and we think this is about this many more um and so it was good. I think not all teams got to some solution that was workable, but this is one of those cases where I really do think showing their examples in the after part caught some of them that hadn't come hadn't got to a solution. So this is a I don't know if it's a management question. What do you say to your students when they're just like I don't know? Like okay. a give up. How do you say Yes, you're going to do this. Well, I don't have an all-the-time answer, but this time I stopped and said, "Let me let's let's have a, a talk for a second." Because in second grade, we say this thing up. You copied me, 
But in this class, we are all a team and we are mathematicians and we're working together to try to solve this. So I have a team that's a little stuck and I would like them to walk around and and talk to you about how you're going to do it. And are you willing to share your ideas with them, like to see if you can help them get started? And then I went to the fact that like... If they go over to you and they like your idea, they brought up that that's a compliment. I mean, that you know they've heard that before. But also, if they do, if they choose to do the same method as you, then we've got two people using the same strategy and we can compare when we're done easier to see if we're accurate compared to somebody who did it a different way. So in this task, I told them to get up and walk around and ask people what they were going to do. And that's all that some teams needed. They're like, oh, that works. I'll go try that. You know? Um... Because there's always, don't you feel like there's always going to be at least one team that's kind of headed in the right direction? Um, and so were these your random groups? Yeah. All week long, I've used visibly random grouping. Have I talked about that in this in the podcast, Jay? I don't think so. Um, I don't believe so. I know that we've talked about it. What time is it? Let's see if I got time. Do I have time to launch into that? Ah! 6.40. Oh, 6.40. Okay. So go for Tell about that. Yeah. Okay. So I got this idea from... Um, Tracy Zager's book, the becoming the math teacher that you wish you had, but it's not from her. She, you know, got it from somebody else. Um, but the idea, the main idea being that students are often grouped by teachers ahead of time and they're grouped either by ability or they're grouped by a low and a high kid. I'm doing air quotes cause I don't really like those words anymore, but you know, the kids start to read into the, the ways that they're grouped and that does all kinds of things to their brain. Our first grader knows that stuff, and we'll talk about it oh, yeah, already. Definitely, he will. It is. It makes me sick the way that he talks about like, well, I'm in this group, and oh, eh, I just roll when I roll my eyes, like. But don't do that because I had to have a long talk with their daughter about rolling eyes this week. Okay, good. So All let's right. not do I that. Won't. Anyway, Please. so they re- they read into it, and you know, if the first graders read into it, then the big kids are reading into oh, yeah. it, and and it's shaping who they think, what they think about themselves as a learner, either puffing their head up more or making them feel like they're incapable. So visible, ra- visibly random grouping means that just that, that you group them randomly and it's believable to the students that it's actually random. And so sometimes people use like random generators on their computer. Flippity is one I keep hearing about. Um, have you heard of that? No, no. just but, a funny name. But I just, I'm just old school and I just have a stack of laminated cards with their name on them. I shuffle them every single time in front of them. And then I laid them down on the carpet and I, I need 11 groups. So I lay them down like this and then just deal them out. And then I just read them off. That's, that's what it looks like every single time in front of them. And then the, the advantage of that is that I, people get paired that I would not have put together. And sometimes that works well, uh, not all the time, but they, if they don't like their partner, it's one time and they know next time they're going to have another partner right away. Um, and there's like freedom in that. Like this is a short amount of time. It's, I can, I can live through this. Um, and there, there's no reading into who my partner is. It's just your partner. And we become to work with everybody and I get a lot less, and eh, I don't want to work with that person than I think I used to. I used to do this when I was in the music classroom and I would, you know, sometimes it was for, a lot of times it was for grouping. Sometimes it was for just calling names, but I would do like a, I don't know if they were, I can't remember their popsicle sticks or tongue depressors or whatever. And they had their names on them and they were in a cup. Yeah. And I would, and I would actually let other, I would let other people pick. Yeah. So that's the the part that I missed because I have the popsicle sticks. 
Um, but I just pull them out and read them. And so maybe I haven't convinced them that it's really random because I'm pulling out these two sticks or these four sticks and I'm picking three of them randomly. But Uh could I potentially be not putting those two kids that I don't want together together? Yes. So maybe if I just lay them out. I, and I, and I will just be honest. I have a couple of pairs that for whatever reason, I do not put two particular students together. And, and so if I start and they have, I just put that person in another place and whether or not they see me do that, I don't know if that's my, it's okay. Most, I think that it's 99% believable. (laughs) (laughs) So all week long, it's been random groups. And the only thing I say is, um, I will not pair you with the very last person that you worked with because that happens sometimes. But uh, if you work with that person yesterday or Monday, too bad. So sad. We're working, you know, that we can have them again. So did I finish talking about the blob? You did. Yeah. So the next one was, I guess, the triangles one. So they got a – and this is probably where I'll stop just so that we have enough time to do our end part. Um the, the next one was take a three by five piece of paper. And f- so it could be a note card. I had some scrap paper from the first desk, so I cut them out in color. But um, I just said, here, have this rectangle. Use an inch ruler to measure the area and perimeter of it. Then cut along, eat, then cut six of those rectangles along the diagonal. And we had to talk about what the diagonal was um, and, and how the diagonal is different from a diagonal line. That was a pretty precise question that one of my students asked. That was cool. Um, he said, does it have to go from corner to corner? And I'm like, well, if it's called the diagonal, it does. Um, math is weird like that, right? So then put them together, put your, so then you have right triangles, which they couldn't norm, they couldn't like automatically name correctly that they were going to be right scaling triangles they had some different thoughts about what kind of triangles they were going to be so i love that we're like recycling back all these words all the time you know um put them to put two of them together so that same length sides are touching and exactly matched up and i'll put a picture of what the there's six combinations that you can do with those right triangles that you get from cutting a note card basically in half and then they were told to measure the area and perimeter of each of those new shapes. And again, I'm thinking to myself, well, I think this is going to be kind of obvious. You're going to cut a thing and then you're going to move the two pieces and then it's going to still be the same two pieces, but the it's still the same area. Well, no, most, most, most teams did not immediately realize that. Like I would say almost every team did not immediately realize that if you just have two pieces of a shape and then you move them it's still the same area and and there were some kids that really had to be convinced i watched this beautiful argument between a boy and a girl and she had it and she he didn't agree and she went back and explained it again and he didn't agree and then i'm wondering if he read my my body language and he was like picking up on my social cues and was like oh i can tell the teacher believes her i'm gonna just believe it now (laughs) but even so you know, she felt like she convinced him. I really wish I knew that. Um, but she did. She he goes, oh, yeah. Oh, OK. You know, all of a sudden. Um, 
But they they worked on their whiteboards. They made charts. They, you know, started by like many of them had that the the area of a. So it may I don't know if it's exactly equilateral, but if you put the two long sides together, you make a triangle that looks equilateral. I'm going to have to realize, I'm going to have to investigate to see whether it's exactly equilateral or not. But you put the two triangles together like that. The long side, not the hypotenuse. The log side. Oh, sorry. No, yeah, the the five. You're right. Not the hypotenuse. I said that wrong. So you put the the five sides together. The hypotenuses, hypotenuse, whatever. They're, they're on the outside. Hypotenuses. Hypotenuse. <laughs> I'll have to look that one up. That that'll be the title of the show. Yeah. Hypotenuses. <laughs> anyway, you. So, um, where am I going with this? Oh, many teams said that was. 36. They they were calling the air, many teams called the area of that six. And I think because they could measure that it was six on the bottom and six tall, and they called it 36. Well, there's no way 36 squares are going to fit on that. Right. But, but they were measuring the hypotenuse, and that's not the height. Oh, that's where the six came from. Yeah. I got it. So they had to measure the six on the base. And then the height. But the height yeah. is five. Yeah. And then divide by two but see they have no absolute no one in the whole room which this is golden no one has any formula for the area of a triangle they have no idea so this is really one of those cool moments where no one's dad already told them the formula and when we are really trying wow, to figure it look out at that snark <laughs> i know uh, but a- i need to put a plug in for what you did when they somebody's dad already told them that the corners of a triangle equal 180 degrees and you just scooped them up out of your classroom and put them in the hallway and said you already know this so what was their challenge out there okay yeah this was last week and when we were when we were trying to discover that the the air the sum of the angles in a triangle equals 180 i was like well let's keep going so the quadrilateral the quadrilateral turned out to be kind of obvious because they were like uh, a four square, you know, a square has four right angles. It's 360. And then they tried a couple more and it was right. So they were like, oh, we got quadrilateral. So then I'm like, okay, what about Pentagon? And so that one gave them some trouble because they can't draw it and measure the angles exactly accurate. So anyway, basically I send them in the hallway and they discovered it and they freaking write, wrote a formula for the sum of the angles of any insided polygon. They, for my fourth graders did it. It was 180 times the number of sides minus two in parentheses. Like, Jay, you're looking at me like, are you still trying to figure it out? What's I that am, look I'm you're giving me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for example, so, a okay. triangle, started a triangle, you take the number of sides, which is three, and you subtract two. Okay. Okay. I was doing it. I was order of operations here. I had multiplied the sides times 180 and then was just subtracting two from that. Oh, sorry. I was like, what the heck? How could something have. So I should have said the. N minus two. N minus two. The quantity of N minus two minus. Is that how you say it? The The difference. The quantity N minus two. What do you say? How about the number of sides minus two? Then multiply by 180. That sounds good. That's what you need. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. had said the other way around, and I was, that's why my brain was spinning. Going, and then they, they walked sense. me through some examples. This was a team of four that I had sit down in the hallway because he had kind of spread it to a couple people. It was so cute. Um, and so, you know, like for a, for a quadrilateral, you would take 
4 minus 2 gives you 2, and then multiply that by 180. And at one point they were stuck. This might have been a little bit too. I really wanted them to get it. So I, they came in and, and they, like they had sent a person in and they were like, oh, we need some help. And I sent them out back out in the hallway with a note card. There were no words on the note card, but it had a triangle. And I don't think I told you this. And then it had a square with the diagonal drawn so you can see two triangles. And then I drew a pentagon and I drew the diagonals from one vertex to two of the other vertices so you can see three triangles in the pentagon. And I don't know whether that helped them come up with their conclusion or they confirmed it or they made some connections, but I did throw them that little bone, like just the image to see if they would connect it. And they got it. Yay. I'm so proud of them. So, so sometimes dad's telling them something is okay. Produces they get to, more learning. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they are going to, they, they, it was really cool to watch that like switch happen in the room um, from, I'm having to like measure this and try to figure out what the area is using some formula that I don't really know to, I think they might be the same. And then some teams would like use squares to kind of confirm it. It was, it was just really, really good. And at the end, I think I only had two or three people that weren't convinced. And I had a student teacher and I said, go out in the hall and talk this over again. And he was like way into it. It was really cool. And so he took him out in the hallway. And I think when they came back in, they were convinced. I totally forgot to talk about Farmer Ben and Farmer Jeff. Fa- no, Farmer Jeff and Farmer Bob. That's the other task that we did. Um, I, let me just say this one thing. I'll put the task up there so people can look at it. And it was great about how area and perimeter are changing. This was before my triangles one. Um, but I, I want to say that I got something from you because you were talking about how at your school the hook is a big idea, like an important thing, you mm-hmm. know, and you said you were going to watch a goat video or something. So I made this, I made my task about two farmers and it was so stupid. I said, many of my tasks start that way, don't they? This was really dumb, but fourth graders are, are falling for it. I was said, farmer, farmer Jeff and Farmer Bob, they're really not farmers. They really are just people that like to watch farm videos on YouTube. And so here's what Farmer Jeff watched. And I showed the chicken and pants video. There's like all these videos of chickens walking around in pants. <laughs> you got to try it. But anyway, I showed them a minute of that and said, he really wanted to buy chickens because he watched all these YouTube videos. And then I showed them a minute of the screaming goat video. And um, which I'm, I will let you know, well, knock our our two children out laughing. Why? No, that's why I showed like, it. To, they can't. They can't function. It's really when funny. Seen that video. Yeah. So that was the beginning of my bath lesson, and then I went into and they they you know blah blah blah. They need this fence and this size and and set the task up that way. Well, do you know that this is what I texted you that I needed to make sure I share? So I'm glad we got around to this. Do you know that when I got into the second class and I was like, oh, this is going to be so fun. They're going to think it's so funny. I heard a kid go, she's going to say Farmer Bob and Farmer Jeff. And I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> and and then and then it popped up and they laughed. I think they thought that the kid just like, you know, randomly guessed or something. And then he was like, she's going to show a screaming goat video. I'm like, what are you doing? You're stealing my thunder. And they had at recess, they had been talking about it. I cannot be but so mad about kids going to recess and telling each other what they're going to do in math class. That's pretty amazing, right? It's pretty amazing. Unless Uh you teach it six times and it is really like, this is what you're going to discover. For me, 
it would be like your class saying you do area of a triangle. It's half times the base height and height. Yeah. Do they do that? Do they give away the good part? Not just the funny part? Yeah. The good part. It's like the kids go into recess thinking that's the good part. Well. Like sometimes I have to say, this was really fun, right? Can you imagine how not fun it would be if someone knew how it was going to end? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. You know, like my apples, bananas story. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, please don't go in the hallway and say, it's been apples. <laughs> Just give me a little yeah. bit of, like, let me do this one more time. Yeah. No spoilers, please. Yeah. yeah. No spoilers, please. That's so, true. But you're right. It's pretty cool that they went to recess and talked yeah. about math. Yeah. All right. Well, um, today we're we're still trying to discover the area of a triangle in um, I'm hoping no one went home and asked dad about it, but I will not be surprised if someone did. All right. So to end today, we want to share a couple of comments that we have gotten. Um, we are, we have a Twitter handle now and it's math and then the letter B and the number four breakfast. What are you laughing at already? Because well, apparently the words math before breakfast were too many characters. It was too long. Yeah. Okay. So um, actually while we were recording, Monica sent us a message and um, several weeks ago we talked about Edpuzzle, which is uh, where you can like put questions in a YouTube video. And um, she added a great comment. She said that she was listening today and Edpuzzle does have a way to enter answers and show correct show the correct answer later and she knows for sure on the multiple choice part i love the idea of having a paper answer key to put in their journal so when we did it i just got it ready in the last like two minutes before class and didn't hadn't figured that part out that you could have a right or wrong answer so monica thanks for that and we will have to try it we also heard from mr pie the math guy that's a super cool twitter name um and he wrote just read about this podcast and i'm hooked thank you for sharing the sandwich activity i'm planning on running my fourth and fifth grade intervention classes through the activity and i love that something that other teachers might be like this is for my high kids this is my extension i love that he's going to use it for um, intervention because it's perfect for that. You know, you can uncover a lot of misconceptions and make a lot well, of connections. And that's what Vandewal said about that task is it when you introduce fractions as fair sharing instead of a numerator and a denominator, you help kids make that connection that three fourths is a number. Yeah. yeah. And that's a huge part of understanding what a fraction is, is understanding that it's a number. All of that to say, if you have something to comment about what we talk about or something you've tried in your classroom. That's what this is all about. We told you in the very beginning that this is us sharing our favorite professional development. Mm -hmm. So if you use something or if you have this really great idea that would fit into what we're doing, leave a comment. And if you would like to advertise or have a really cool gift, yeah, then Go to mathbeforebreakfast.com mm-hmm. and click the link and leave us your name and address. And we will not sell the name and addresses. We'll just send you a really cool treat and say, thanks for listening. Oh, I think we should say what it is. Okay, you can tell them. Okay, so so go to the show notes for this episode, which is episode 23, right? Go to the show notes on our website. And if you leave us your name and address, um, we have Math for Breakfast stickers that you can put on your laptop, you know? And then we have little tiny buttons that you can, like, wear on your keychain or your backpack or whatever. So, while supplies last. While supplies last, yeah. We don't have an unlimited amount. So the first, let's say, seven-ish people, right? Do we think we have that many? Yeah, the first seven-ish people, we will... Um, mail you a button to say thank you for listening because we we've really appreciated like 
you know, building a little bit of a community of people that we can, we know are listening. We also have a website where you can buy a t-shirt. Yeah. So that's exactly right. That link is there too. Yep. At the top of our page. Yes. All right. What are our takeaways? As well as our reading list is up this week. That's right. Yeah. all, All the books that we, or a lot of the books that we recommend. All right, so takeaways will be me maybe revealing. Mine's going to be the whole revealing the objective and or essential question. I use the, that objective format because we're asked to, but I might think about putting that, like preparing it and then flipping to that slide. Even if I don't use my cool curtain, I might just flip to that slide when somebody finally brings it up. Let me get to the point of our well, You said cool curtain in a, in a sarcastic way and looking at me. Oh, sorry. All right, what's your takeaway? <laughs> <laughs> So I, well, I guess my takeaway is just confirmation that it's okay that we have to build conceptually things that students have already learned. But after I've built it conceptually, I got to hold them accountable for what they know. And I think I'm going to do your two squares, which ones are your two rectangles yeah which one's bigger yeah kind of at the end of their test because i have to waste a class to give a test um but if when they're done their test usually i say you just have to keep it the whole time check it and they never check it but if i attach that to the back of it and not grade it they could sit at their seat and figure out which one's bigger and i could you know gather some data are you gonna give them squares and rulers i'm gonna give them i cut out i made the squares but (laughs) I made them three and a half by five. So it's not just a whole number rectangle. And that will lead us nicely into multiplying mixed numbers. That's awesome. I love it. I talked about that with one of my groups yesterday when they were trying to figure out the area of three of the triangles stuck together. I was showing them how you were multiplying three times seven and a half because that was the area of one of those triangles. All right, JJ, you got a takeaway? My takeaway is I've remember you talking recently about the kids whose dad told them how to do this. And I yeah. was like, man, should I not? Cause I'm that dad that, yeah. you know, Hey, Adley, that's right. And let me tell you the next three steps of what you're right. learning. Yeah. But now I'm going back to being that dad because I want, you know, the kids that, that already knew that went out in the hallway and came up with something really cool. Yeah. You know, uh, one of those next steps of, of, you know, a really cool idea for, for, you know, in this case it was the, measure of the interior angles of shapes or, or yeah. whatever. So I'm back to being that dad again that, that spoils it <laughs> and gives them the next two or three steps so that they can go back and, and, and learn. So be that dad, but ask, tell me what you already know. Tell me why, why you're doing what you're doing. Like I'm just going to that mom who said, when you want to find the least common denominator, just multiply these two denominators and that'll be it. Oh, Gotcha. Right? So, yes, that works. But now your denominators are 7 and 14, and 98 is not really a good least common denominator. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I, I so don't think I would do that. Have those. No, I wouldn't say you would do that. But talking to other parents who might have that same takeaway, gotcha. have that conversation of what else do you know? Make what sure can you figure out? Yeah. And make sure it's built on some understanding that they already have. Right. It's not just coming out of nowhere. Yeah. Cool. All right. See you tomorrow on our run. See you tomorrow.